Well, good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 is going to be this morning. And if you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you'd throw your hand in the air, we've got people coming right by right now who have Bibles. They'd love to get a copy of God's Word into your hands so you can follow along. And if you don't own a copy of God's Word, for sure put your hand up and take one of these home as our gift to you. But be sure to grab a copy of God's Word. Open up to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be this morning. Now, we've been away from the book of Galatians for a few weeks. I've been on vacation. I'm super thankful for the, just the powerful messages brought to us through Pastor Lee, through Pastor Robbie from Oakville, and then as you guys are introduced to our newest hire, Pastor John, as he came and just shared his heart for discipleship. It's been an awesome three weeks for sure. We've been seeing, though, all through this, this letter to catch us back up again, the Apostle Paul, this, this missionary, this church planter who plants this church in Galatia, then writes this letter to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because the church that he planted has lost its roots in the gospel. It's no longer following what Paul said. Hey, here's what life's all about. Here's who we are. We are those who have been saved by grace, by Jesus Christ. We now live under this gospel, this, this message of hope, this announcement of good news, but they, they got off track. They got off track of that core message of Jesus that's so different than any other world religion. And what is that message? What is the gospel? It's this, that all of us are broken. We're messed up. We're more sinful than any of us would want to admit. We wouldn't want to share the depth of our sin with anybody, but the, we know who we are. But through Jesus... We're more loved, we're more cherished, we're more valued than we ever could imagine. That's the gospel. That's the core of Christianity. And Paul's just, he's, he's tracking through this letter to this church that's lost the gospel. He's just finished up in chapter five talking about, hey, hey, this is what it looks like to live out of this gospel-driven, spirit-empowered life. And the evidence will be the spirit being shown in your life. And there'll be this spiritual fruit, he said, in chapter five that'll grow. And, and so we begin to ask, well, what does that look like? What's it look like for me to be a deeply spiritual person? Like, I wanna live this out. I, I wanna be someone who shines brightly for Christ. What's that look like? You know, different people have answered that differently. I mean, what's it look like for someone who's, who's radically close to Jesus? What would their life look like? The church throughout history has tried to figure this out. What does it look like when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit here in the, in the church that Paul's writing to? They, they thought, you know what? Religiosity, man. If you're just super religious, that shows how deeply spiritual you are. If you follow all the laws, then that's being deeply spiritual. I mean, I've read just this past week about another guy. His name was this. He was born in 380 AD, Simeon the Stylite. No, he wasn't styling. That wasn't called styling, which would be cool. That wasn't it, right? Stylite, another word for pillar or for post, because here's what Simeon did. He thought, to be super spiritual, I'm gonna remove myself from everybody. I'm gonna go out into the desert, and he built this pole on the edge of the Syrian desert, crawled up onto the pole, and lived the rest of his life sitting on a pole. 37 years. Is that super spiritual? No, fail, right? That is not super spiritual. In fact, especially what we're going to unpack here in the book of Galatians, Scripture's so clear. The greatest evidence of the gospel igniting your life, changing your life, that Jesus is a part of your life, that you're filled with the Spirit, it's going to be seen in the context of relationship. It's going to be seen in community. Jesus said, hey, do you want to know how people will know that you're my followers? It's going to be known because of the love you have for each other. 
So if you're taking notes this morning, here's our first point, just two points this morning. Here's our first point. The gospel in my life will be seen in my relationships. The gospel in my life will be seen in my relationships. You know, Paul wrote in another letter to the, to the Ephesian church, he said, be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians chapter five. And then right after he says, be filled with the Spirit, he begins talking about, hey, love each other, speak words of love to each other. He then says, submit to each other. Evidence of being spirit-filled is that you would submit to each other. I mean, that's tough stuff. I mean, that, that's, that's saying this, I'm gonna lay down all my needs. I'm gonna lay down my rights, my wants, my desires. I'm gonna lay down my plans. I'm gonna lay down my control in my relationships. I'm gonna surrender all of those. I'm gonna submit those for others. That, that's an outflowing of a spiritual life. Galatians 5, Paul's been laying this out. This is what it looks like not to live in the flesh, but live in the spirit, not for yourself, but to live for God. And now he says, here are the implications of that. Here's what it's going to look like. It's gonna be seen in your community. It'll change your relationships. The greatest evidence of a life changed by the gospel will be seen in community. In this, this gospel-drenched, God-empowered, God-glorifying, world-looking-in-in-awe, going, I can't believe what's happening with that group of people, that kind of community. We call it an uncommon community. It's not normal. This whole idea of deep spirituality is not just like, well, it's, it's my little thing between me and Jesus, and it's just a personal thing. No, 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 that's not it. The spiritual life is a life lived out in relationship. And, and here's why I think that is. I think because to not have relationships would be so much easier, wouldn't it, sometimes? Matt, isn't that what Simeon in the Stylite was doing? He's like, you know what? This is too hard. If I just get away from people, if I just get out of here, I mean, isn't, isn't that the truth? Isn't that where the rubber meets the road for where our spirituality is? I mean, tell me, Jesus is easy to love. Some of you guys are not, all right? And I'm not. Simeon's saying, I mean, I just gotta get out of here. If I just, if I got away, if, if, if I had people not around me, not bugging me, I could do this. Man, I feel like that. I think sometimes, man, don't you feel this way? Man, being a Christian would be so much easier if it weren't for all the Christians. I could be super spiritual if I never had to sacrifice my wants. I could be super spiritual if I never had to give up my desires. I could be super spiritual if I didn't have to submit my life and my family and all that. If I didn't have to submit my, my finances, if I didn't have to do any of that for my Christian brothers and sisters, it would be so much easier. But listen, as we cling to the gospel, we wanna live out this spirit-filled life. We're gonna see God do something remarkable in our heart, in our families, and in our community. Now, what will stop this from happening? We, we wanna see God unleash this in our church family. What will stop it from happening? The, these are things, I'm gonna list out some things that will stop this from happening. We're gonna see right from the text here. These are things that no matter how many barbecues we try to do, no matter how many small group meetings we have, no matter how many times we hold hands and sing kumbaya, it will not get past these things. These are gospel killing, community death, attitudes of the heart, Here they are, self-centeredness, self-righteousness, and self-sufficiency. <clears throat> self-centeredness, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency. Notice all these begin with self. They all have pride at the core. 
right? Because pride shows up when we lose the gospel, when we, we forget that outside of Jesus Christ, outside of Jesus, I'm more sinful than I'd ever want to admit. And it's only because of Jesus that I am now more loved than I could ever imagine. And so pride creeps in and we lose the gospel. We try to find our purpose, our identity, our love, and in anything else we can grab a hold of outside. We start to look away from Jesus. Look at verse 25 of chapter five. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So this is what it's gonna look like. Verse 26 says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When we lose the gospel, we become conceited. What's that mean? It means we start to look at ourselves. And we think, hey, the way I live my life, how I perform is how I am. That's what defines me. The, the literal meaning of this word conceited is, is vain glory. It's, it's, it's this empty glory. I'm, I'm self-deluded. I, I have this view of who I am that is not true. That's what being conceited is. And it, it's gonna show itself lived out in one of two ways, either provoking people or envying people, it says here. Now, now, it depends on what you do. What your view of yourself is will depend on how you work this out, whether you're a provoking person or an envying person. But listen, when you have a hole in your gospel, you have this false view. What happens is you're either going to have a view of yourself that's inflated or a view of yourself that's deflated. And an inflated view of yourself begins to provoke other people. A deflated view of yourself, you begin to envy other people. Let me, let me unpack it a little bit. To provoke, it means to challenge. It's like, I'm gonna challenge you to a contest, all right? And I wanna show my superiority over you, and I, so I'm gonna compare myself to you, and, and I'm gonna compete with you. That's really what it means. You're gonna compete with others. And Paul's not talking about fun things like we're gonna compete in sports or games, all right? And some of you are hugely competitive and maybe it is a, a gospel problem for you, right? If you're 45 in the beer league still thinking you're getting your pro contract soon, it might be a problem for you, okay? But I'm not talking about that kind of competition, right? It's a spiritual competition. It's, it's, it's this deep competition where we, we, we want to be righteous so we strive hard to be that way. I'm gonna be better than you. It's, it's called self-righteousness is what it is. And so we spend our time looking for recognition. I'm gonna, I spend my time just self-atoning. I wanna tell you more stories about what I do for Jesus. I wanna tell you more things that I've done just so, so you know that I, I'm walking with Christ. And, I, and maybe you're doing it for the attention. Maybe you're just doing it for your own heart because you've forgotten the gospel. Nobody would ever stand up and go, all right, I'm gonna challenge you all to a spiritual contest. We, we wouldn't do that, right? We're smarter than that. We wouldn't go that way, right? But what do we do? We wanna make sure you know what I've done. I wanna make sure you, you know the good deeds I've done. I, I wanna make sure that when, when I pray, man, I pray out loud and I pray really well so you know like I'm connected to Jesus. I, I wanna make sure that when, when I'm worshiping, my eyes also gonna be on you because I wanna, do you see I'm, I'm pretty passionate here, right? You see this, right? That's, that's what being conceited is. Self-righteous is. It's serving for the recognition. I better get a pat on the back. They better say my name. They better give me a thank you card. It's, and listen, why do we do We forget the first part of the gospel. That says that outside of Jesus, we're all a sinful mess. Look at verse three of chapter six. He says, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. We gotta remember, our good works don't save us. 
When we begin to look at other people, we're comparing ourselves to other people. And some days, you, maybe you're surrounded by a bunch of yahoos and you're like, yeah, I'm killing it right now. I'm like the most spiritual guy in my group of friends. And we forget the gospel. And we strive to, to find our identity, to find our purpose, to find uh, uh, how we're good with ourselves. We strive to look for that in what we're doing and we wanna feel good. And so what do we do? We're provoking, we're challenging others. I mean, that's what was going on here in the Galatian church. People were coming in, these legalists, this, this group of people coming and going, hey, hey, here's how righteous we are. You gotta be as righteous as me if you wanna really be a follower of Christ. And, and legalists love to heap burdens on people. And you, you need to do like what I do if you wanna be righteous. You better do these things. And here's the thing, self-righteousness, it's such a, a placebo. It's this thing that we think is making us so much, it's taking care of the disease of sin when it's doing nothing for us. It just makes us feel better. Self-righteousness. Now, now the other side of, of self-centeredness that isn't self-righteousness, it's, it's forgetting the other half of the gospel that, that says in Christ you're more loved, you're more accepted, you're, you're more adored, even though you're a train wreck. And when we forget that and we, we give in to feelings of, of failure, of defeat, of inadequacy, and we, we look around at people and think, man, everybody else is doing better than I am. Everybody else has, has got so much more going on. I could never match up to what they're doing. Man, I could never be like the person up front. I could never be like that person in my small group. Man, I, and what do we do? Rather than provoking others with our righteousness, we begin to envy We think we're failing and we're filled with self-contempt. We're filled with envy and jealousy. I mean, I wish I had their lot in life. Man, if I had what they had, why can't I look like that person? Why can't I sound like that person? And what you're really saying is this, God, you screwed this up. You've given me a load to carry that isn't fair. God, God I don't think you have any idea what you're doing. I mean, do you struggle with this at all? Man, I sure do. And, and maybe my comparisons will be different from your comparisons, but, but don't you do the, you start to, to look around and you have this, this self-looking, looking within yourself, this self-centeredness. Look at verse four of chapter six. Paul says, listen, let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not his neighbor. He says, stop looking around at other people. Look at the gospel in you. When we get the gospel, it destroys this, this keeping up with the Joneses to feel better about ourselves. But when I forget the gospel, I look around and I either have an inflated view of myself or a deflated view of myself. I either think I'm, I'm God's gift to the world or I just think I'm a total and utter mess with no hope. And, and both times, wherever you find yourself this morning in that spectrum, the answer is to run back to the gospel. We say, outside of God's grace, I'm so broken, but because of Jesus, I'm so loved. When we battle with this self-centeredness, whether it shows itself in pride or self-contempt, what it can lead to is the last one, self-sufficiency. We wanna look good, so our pride says, hey, hey, make sure you don't show any flaws. We say this all the time, you come to church wearing the I'm fine mask, 
How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Oh, I'm fine too, right? And we, we don't want to show any sin. We don't want to show any hurt. We don't want to show any problems. And, and we want to put up this front. Like, I'm okay. Everything's okay. I don't need people. I can do this on my own. It's pride. Now, now the flip side of pride, it's still pride. It's just the other side of the coin of pride is fear. And fear says, I don't want people to know that I'm struggling. It's, it's not that you don't think you're struggling. You're like, I just don't want anybody to know about it. And so quickly, what do we do? We isolate ourselves from, from deep relationships. We, we pull back from Christian community. And listen, we're doing it to the damage of our soul. We're doing it to the, to, the, to the damage of our joy and growth. Listen, if you don't have godly people in your life who come alongside of you, you're missing out and you're in a very, very dangerous place. I mean, think even right now, when was the last time somebody took you out for coffee, sat you down and said, hey, I'm just worried about you. How can I help you? I mean, have you so removed yourself from Christian community that this never happens? Or, or are you so full of pride and fear that you would never let that happen? Listen, we need each other. We are weak. I'm a wreck without you. You're a wreck without the people around you. We need each other. There's this whole myth of self-sufficiency. It dominates our culture. It's individualistic. It's, it's, it permeates into the church. We need to be careful. We need to guard against this idea of self-sufficiency. And how do you do it? You go back to the gospel. The gospel exposes our need of Jesus. Like, I can't do this on my own. It exposes our, our need of, of each other. And when we walk in the spirit, we lay down our pride that we don't see ourselves as better than anyone else. Or we don't see ourselves needing to strive to be better. We can lay down the jealousy. We can lay down the competitiveness. And now instead of thinking those nasty thoughts when someone succeeds, I'm like, oh yeah, that jerk, God, that year, Right? Don't leave me up here. You do it too, don't you? Sometimes, maybe. Okay, just me. All right. And rather than those, maybe, maybe because the gospel comes in, now we can celebrate when people succeed. Instead of coming alongside somebody who's broken and, and pushing them further down, we can lift them up. We can lay down this attitude that, that says either, you know what, I'm better than you and I'll prove it. Or we can lay down the attitude that says, I'm worse than you and I resent it. And we can embrace the gospel that says, you know what, we're both unworthy but loved by the creator of the universe. Now, now where's that all lead? When we eliminate the, the killers of gospel community, where does it lead us to? What's it gonna look like when we lay ourselves down at the cross, when we're, we're freed from each other, where I'm freed from your opinions of me, but at the same time, I'm indebted to you to come alongside you, to do this life together. It brings this. Look at six, chapter six, verses one to three. Brothers, if anyone, or sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's our gospel hope right there. This is a life lived out of the gospel. This is a gospel community. So here's our second point this morning. It's this, because of the gospel, I will be involved in the messiness of relationships. 
Because of the gospel, I will be involved in the messiness of relationships. And relationships are messy, are they not? I mean, we can step out of like, like Disney kind of relationships and recognize the reality of relationships. Marriage is hard. Friendships are hard. Church is hard. There's a messiness to it. And so what's it gonna look like to enter in with the gospel to the messiness of relationships? There's a couple things laid out here for us. First is this, verse one says, anyone caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them. We gotta get involved in the, in the messiness of confronting sin. I mean, that, that's the gospel lived out. We, we confront sin. It says here, if anyone is caught in any transgression, this is not the idea of being busted, all right? This is not that, that person coming up and you know, you're always looking for somebody sinning. Like you're, you're kind of like the sin detective. You got the junior Holy Spirit badge, right? You're looking around. Who's gonna say, ha, caught ya, sinner, right? We're all praying that person gets called by Jesus to missions somewhere far away and dangerous, right? <laughs> That's not what he's talking about here. He, what he, he's saying this, hey, when you see somebody entangled in sin, ensnared by sin, somebody who's drowning in sin, somebody who is blind to their sin. They don't even know it's there. This is the idea. You're seeing a brother or sister who's drowning and you're stepping in to rescue. So that doesn't mean somebody who you know is working on the, like they know, hey, man, this is my sin, man, and I'm battling this and I'm doing well. You're not the one going, oh, you failed there? Oh, you failed? No, that's not that person, right? Listen, we're messed up. I got sin. I'm working on it. It's that person who doesn't even see the sin, who's so trapped by it. They're drowning. And there's this call to action for us as Christians to come to that person to confront the sin. Do you know that? To confront. Jesus says it in Matthew. He says, hey, if, if somebody's sinning, what's the first response? Oh, it's love them. No, it's not. He says, go to them. Call them to repentance. That's our first act as brothers and sisters in Christ. Right now, now understand something. This is a call for Christians within the church. We, we don't do this outside, right? Our call is not to go into the world and just slam the world for living as sinners. Guess why they're doing that? It's because they are, right? We're calling them to Jesus. You're not going to your neighbor going, man, I can't believe you drink and smoke like you do, right? That, that's not our mission, Right? Our mission is to come alongside pointing somebody to Jesus. Okay, but within the church, our mission, when somebody's in sin, our first response, Jesus calls it to us in Matthew 18. Paul's saying here, we go and confront. This is huge. I, I, I'm convinced that, that, that confronting sin is, the, is probably one of the most neglected components of a gospel-driven community. It's one that we like shy away from the most. And what do we do? Let, let's see how it's worked out, though. It says, the one who is spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The one who's spiritual. Now, if you're like me, I'm reading that the first time I read that, I went, well, that counts me out, right? Paul's not talking about the person who's, who's, who's perfect, the person who's the super amazing Christian. No, that's not what this is saying. What, what, see in the whole context of what he's been talking about, about a spirit-filled person, it's talking about those who are walking in the spirit, those who understand the gospel. You're living in the gospel, right? So listen, if your first response to somebody caught in sin is to be judgmental and harsh and self-confident and self-centered, don't confront because you're not living in the gospel. 
If you're the one, I mean, I see sin so easily, man. I want to confront them all. Listen, that's not what's called on here. It's bringing, it's, it's bringing healing and hope and restoration. Those of you in the spirit, those of you drenched in the gospel who understand the gospel, living out the spirit, our job is to engage brothers and sisters caught in sin to restore them. That's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is not to just catch somebody. The ultimate goal is not just point out sin. The ultimate goal is to restore. I mean, the word used here for restoration, it's the same word used for a doctor setting a bone in place. Right, the whole purpose is to take something that's broken. And I, I want to I make it right. Have you, have you ever been traveled to, to like developing nations where they don't have great medical care and you see people walking around who did not get good medical care and a bone was not restored? Right? And they walk with a limp forever, right? I was saying the point of it is you're trying to put it back into alignment so that we can walk again. The point is to bring healing. The point is it's about love. So again, we're, we're not a bunch of, of sin hounds sniffing out, looking for where somebody's failing and I wanna trip them up, I wanna know. No, we're doing it out of love. So we're doing it out of love. What's it mean? It means 1 Peter 4, 8 says, love covers a multitude of sins. So maybe love would dictate, this time, you know what, I'm not gonna confront. The person's having a bad day. Something just happened. They did something they wouldn't normally do. I don't need to point out every sin. I can probably let that slide. And I'll get, but love also means the other. If your nose is going, wait a minute, that wasn't just a bad day. There's a pattern of sin here. And if I really love them, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna confront. I mean, think about it. Knowing that all of us have blind spots, and we do, don't we? Like, I don't know, I'm blind to them. We do, we all have blind spots. I mean, how, how important is it because of that to have brothers and sisters around us who are willing to step in and engage in love? And to say, hey, hey, what's going on right now in your heart? That's not good. We're called to something greater than that. I'd say a church that doesn't look out for each other in this way actually doesn't have community. Doesn't have love. If there are no intentionally invasive relationships in our church, the church is not a loving church. We're not loving if we don't look out for each other. In fact, it's, it's the most hypocritical kind of love. The most weak, sad kind of love is a kind of love that sees somebody in danger and just says, well, I hope it works out for them. If, if I see one of my kids climbing a tree and they're, they're walking out onto a dead branch, trying to get to the end of it to see how far they can go out. Listen, it is not a loving parental thing for me to do, to stand there and watch go, well, let's see how this turns out. <laughs> they might fall, probably will. It's dead. That's probably what's gonna happen. No, what's a loving parent do? A loving parent says, hey, wait, stop. D -d don't go out there. R reach up to that other branch. You don't wanna go that way. That's what a loving parent does. This, this life we live together as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's about caring enough about each other that we'll warn each other. Listen, this is a blind spot. You're going down a way that's not good. You're following a path that doesn't lead to life. It only leads to death and destruction. We need to put people in our lives that will challenge us, that will encourage us. Now, how do we do it? How, how do we confront it's not natural. We're gonna have to, to build up the, Lord, allow me to do this well. Allow me to do this in the gospel. How do we do it? It says here to do it gently. 
to do it gently. What's that mean? What's it mean to, to be gentle? And this is a hard one because my gentle might be your bold. Or my bold, I think, man, I'm, man, I was so bold with them. And they're like, did he even say anything to me? My, right? So we gotta, we gotta figure out what does this look like? What's the, what's the bone that needs to be said here? How do I do this gently? But I gotta take care of it. I gotta step in. A bad doctor go, ooh, sorry about your leg and walk away. Or no, you have to step in, but you're gonna do it gently. Look at the last part of verse one. It, it kind of gives a hint of what this looks like. I'm gonna do it gently. Keeping watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. How do I do it gently? I step in having checked my own heart first. If you see somebody drowning, you wanna be sure, hey, you know what? As Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye before you start doing the speck in somebody else's eye. I wanna search my heart. I wanna search my motive. Am I gonna step in in love and compassion? Am I gonna be driven by the gospel in this situation? When, when you step in in that way, you're stepping in recognizing, listen, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be just as messed up following the exact same thing this person's following. I'd be in the exact same place. I recognize that even all my successes are only by God's grace. When you start there, you have compassion. When you start in that place, you're gonna come alongside somebody and say, come on, let's get out of here together. So the one confronting, we need to do it in gentleness, but here's something we need to maybe check out. What about the one being confronted? It's great to hear a sermon, but we need to confront each other. Then we go out, we're all confronters, right? Well, what's it look like to be confronted? How do, how do you respond? I think you need to respond in the same way. You need to respond in the spirit, in light of the gospel. So what that means is when somebody confronts you in sin and your flesh is crying out how to, how to respond to that in a common way, what's an uncommon gospel-driven way? So let's not respond to the flesh. Here's a few things you don't wanna do when confronted. Don't immediately disregard what was said. Isn't that, a, isn't that a kind of a natural response? If someone says, hey, I know it's in your life. Yeah, whatever, you don't see it clearly. You don't get it. No, rather than that, how about this? How about when someone confronts you? Even if you don't agree with it, what if you say, you know what? I'm gonna take that to God. I wanna hear that. I wanna see what God has to say about that. But don't just immediately disregard it. Here's something else not to do when you're confronted. Don't immediately go and find other people who will support you. Don't you ever, you know, I just gotta find people who are gonna agree with me, right? So you're just gonna find anybody. And, and so what do you do? You go find weak people who won't ever speak truth to you. You say, hey, hey, Pastor Kai said that I'm a, I got an anger problem and my, my language is like always coming out poorly. What do you think about that? And they're like, oh, I, no, I, I don't think Pastor Kai, he's totally right. He homeschools his kid. Like, like he doesn't even understand. Like that's why he's just really sensitive, right? Right? Listen, we need to find brave, godly brothers and sisters who will speak the truth into our lives. Don't just hang out with people who always agree with you. Here's another way not to respond, right? So don't just blow it off. Don't just go find other people who will support you. How about this? Don't blow off the person because of their sin. Do we do that? Someone confronts. I'm like, yeah, I know, but... I see your sin. Who are you to confront me on that when I see it? Someone comes up and says, hey, listen, I just saw how you've been treating your spouse. It just isn't, oh yeah, is your marriage perfect? It's the flesh coming out. It's pride. It's self-sufficiency. It's self-righteousness. 
So what do we do when someone gently confronts us and, and we know that, that they have sin in our life? Listen, we all have sin in our lives. Rather than our first reaction being to discredit them, like, hey, only Billy Graham can ever tell me about my sins, right? Like, rather than that, how about just be so thankful and say, hey, thanks for pointing that out because you're rescuing me, because you see me going in a way, and I wanna be more like Jesus, so you're helping me out. You're not hurting me. You're healing me when you come in a spirit of gentleness. It's getting involved in the messiness of relationships. Here's the last messiness we get involved in. It's this. Not only do we confront in messiness, we also comfort. We bear each other's burdens. Look at verse two. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We help carry the load together. Now you'll notice in verse five, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul says in verse five, for each will have to bear his own load. What's up with that? He says, we bear load, they have to carry your own. What's going on here? Listen, load and burden are two very different words. In the original language in Greek, a load is something that you can actually carry on your own. It's not a breeze, it's not easy, but you can carry it on your own. A burden is something too big for one person. So, so think about helping somebody move. And you've got a box full of clothes, heavy, but you can carry it. You've got a full wardrobe closet thing full of it. You, I can't do this on my own. I, like That's load, burden, okay? So we're called to bear one another's burdens. And this is what makes us an uncommon, gospel-driven community. When people come alongside you and say, listen, I'll help you carry that. I'll walk with you through that. And if you're gonna do this, why do I say it's messy? Because listen, some burdens are easy to carry with somebody. And maybe it just takes like one cup of coffee with them and you've carried that burden. One, just a couple days of walking alongside them and, and, and they can carry that now on their own. You've walked with them. but Sometimes burdens take a lot more. We come along somebody, we say, hey, hey, let's go. I'm gonna help you carry that burden, even if it means the two of us walking together into heaven together. It's messy. So what kind of burdens? What, what, what kind of burdens would, would Paul be talking about here? I think it's anything that's a burden. It could be financial, it, it could be spiritual, it could be emotional, it could be mental, it, it could be, oh, oh, you're a single mom and how, how can we come alongside to help? Look, my load is to care for my family. That's the load I've been given by God. I'm gonna care for my family, but I've got a partner in this, so, so let me help you share that load. Hey, you're sick, how can we help? How, how can we serve you? You're struggling with depression. How, how can we come alongside you? How can, how can we walk with you in that? How can we encourage you? You're, you're facing the consequences of bad decisions. Maybe sin consequences are the burden. I mean, look at verse seven. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh, reap corruption. The one who sows the Spirit will reap from the Spirit, reap eternal life. There are consequences to sin. Listen, there is forgiveness for any sin, but God's saying, listen, when you sow to sin, there are going to be consequences. Yes, you're forgiven. 
Yes, you're viewed as, as the righteousness of Christ, but, but those bad decisions carry with them. You sow those seeds. They eventually come up as a crop that may have trouble. Maybe right now, maybe your marriage is difficult because the way you've been living for years. Maybe right now, you're paying financially for bad decisions. Maybe right now, it's a, it's a family that's broken. Maybe right now, there are relationships that are struggling. Maybe right now, your job hunting is difficult because of past sin. And listen, what do we do? We come alongside. We bear even the burden of bad choices. Can I tell you this? This has been the greatest joy I've had pastoring this church. This part of this sermon, this is not a part of a sermon where I go, like, man, I gotta ramp this up. I gotta tell these people, you better bear burdens if you wanna be like Jesus. I feel like I just need to go, hey, we could take the next hour just talking about all the burdens you guys bear for each other. I mean, you're living it out. I wanna encourage you to keep doing that. It was just a, a couple weeks ago while I was on vacation, somebody phoned, family crisis, a burden, not a load. It's something beyond what they could carry. Weeping on the phone, praying with them on the phone. As soon as I got the phone, what did I do? I called their small group leader. Hey, you may not know about it, but there's something going on in this family. Could you guys take care of that? Could you, bam, right away, I get a phone call from the person going, you wouldn't believe what happened. We have meals. We had an envelope full of cash come by. We have people praying for us and with us. And what they say, they said, I love my church. I didn't do anything. I made a phone call. You, you guys bear one another's burdens. That's a healthy church. Keep doing this. It's so uncommon, but let's not stop. Let's not give up. This is a gospel-centered, life-changing, God-glorifying, world-looking-in-an-amazement kind of community. No one should be left struggling with burdens they can't carry on their own. I mean, it's an amazing thought even this morning to stand here before you all in a room this size with this many people to, to know that across this room there's so many burdens being carried by so many people. We can't lose sight of that. We can't lose sight of the fact that the person sitting right next to you may be trying to carry an unbearable burden that the Bible said you were never meant to carry this on your own. It's a command for us as a church. This is not an option for us. This is a command for us. Carry each other's burdens. Why, it says, to fulfill the law of Christ. Isn't that interesting? All through this book, he's been saying, forget the law. You don't need to follow the law anymore. There's now grace. Stop holding the law. And now he says, do this because of the law of Christ. Well, what's the law of Christ? Christ bore our burdens. Christ was crushed under the weight of our sin. And because of that, because we have now been set free, we suffer with each other. We, we have compassion. You know the word compassion? It's not just this idea of, oh, I just kind of feel sorry for that person. Compassion literally means to suffer with. And there's nothing that shows the gospel more in your life than when you come alongside somebody who is broken and rather than reaching for a rock to throw and say, well, look at what you did. No, instead you come along and say, I'm gonna suffer with you. I'm gonna sacrifice my time, my finances, my life. I'm gonna suffer alongside of you. I'm gonna bring grace instead of condemnation. I'm gonna bring love rather than a lecture. And your heart is so set on restoration. Why? Because you've been lit up by the gospel. And we come alongside those. Well, what about people who are really under it? Listen, in any, any, in any trespass, people can be restored. What if their, what if their marriage is a train wreck? It can be restored. 
Well, what if they're buried under an addiction? It can be restored. What if they've made such a mess of their life, they're so far into, they can be restored. What if, they, what if they end up in prison, they can be restored. What if they've wandered from the church and from our faith, they can be restored. Listen, a murderer of Christians planted a church in Galatia and wrote them a letter that also encourages us here in Muskoka today. Listen, they can be restored. Not by our power, not by what we do, but because God's spirit will come alongside. And if you have the spirit of God in you, what's it say? It says here, it says to sow seeds in the spirit and you're gonna reap in the spirit. In fact, verse nine says, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. So don't give up. Keep sowing those seeds. Sow those seeds sacrificially. Sow the seeds financially. Sow the seeds relationally. Sow the seeds as you serve. Never stop sowing. And listen, sometimes don't give up because sometimes those seeds may take a long time to grow. I think we have this weird mentality, this kind of microwave, pop it in, 90 seconds, I get my pizza pop mentality, even spiritually, where, where if I don't see growth, then obviously God's not at work. It's not true. Keep sowing seeds, keep being obedient to what God's called you to sow. Now, I remember when I was in, in Bible college, my first year, a missionary came to speak to this old man who'd spent his entire life in North Africa and the Middle East working with Muslims. This is back, back in the very early, it was 1990, and he was talking all about what he had done and, and all this stuff. And he says, you know what? I've seen a, just a handful of converts. Decades of ministry. Only a handful of people came to Christ. I was just reading an article on the Gospel Coalition website just this past week about the church in Iran. And it says this, it says, it says that more are coming to Christ in the last 20 years in Iran than the previous 13 centuries combined. Amen. You've got this, this couple that just served faithfully. Just, just gave his life to just serving. Like, man, you're seeing no fruit at all. And, and, and Iran, you got these thousands, they say even probably a million Christians right now in Iran. And why? Why? Because the persecution and the violence done in the name of Islam has, has caused them to become disillusioned. And secondly, the other reason why? Because Iranian Christians are sharing their faith in the midst of their own persecution. That missionary is dead and in heaven right now. Right? But I can imagine Jesus coming alongside him and going, hey, hey, those seeds you planted, they're in full bloom right now. Listen, don't stop. Don't stop praying for that prodigal in your life. Don't stop serving when it seems pointless. You know, is, is anything happening here? Don't stop sharing Jesus. You're saying, but nobody's responding. Don't stop giving sacrificially. But, but I, don't, I don't see the fruit of my giving happening. Listen, the harvest will come. And for some of you, you might see it immediately. You may see it in just, man, I, I sowed the seed and God answered. And look what happened for others. You may end up in heaven. And someone might come to you and go, hey, you sowed a seed that, that was planted in my life. Jesus might come and go, hey, I'm on earth right now, I'm using that seed you planted. And there's now peace in the midst of a storm because of what you've done. Don't stop, don't give up. Listen, God is at work. 
Would you stand with me as the worst team comes? Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to end in a bit of a different way. We're going we're to worship this morning. But I want to take a few moments and, and to, to be the church. To be an uncommon community, maybe in here now. So here, here's what I want to invite you to do this morning. If you'd be willing. If you're carrying some sort of a burden this morning. Maybe it's something, you just, a sin you've been struggling with. You just, I can't find victory in this. Maybe it's a different kind of burden. Maybe you have prodigal kids. Maybe you're battling sickness. Maybe you're, you're, you're buried under depression. Maybe it's a financial burden. Maybe it's a, 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 some sort of addiction that you have. Maybe you're, just a, 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 maybe you're just up against it in life. Or maybe you're a single parent. You say, man, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Maybe your marriage is struggling. You're like, it's been so long and we can't do this on our own. I'm just tired. Whatever burden it is, whatever burden that's crushing you this morning. Listen, we're not meant to carry those burdens alone. In fact, I'd ask this. If, if, if you have a burden like that this morning, I, I'm not gonna ask you to share it. But I'd say, if you have a burden like that, someone, you'd be willing to say, listen, that's me. I have a burden I can't bear on my own. I'm gonna ask you to do this. Would you raise your hand where you are right now? Whatever that burden is, I got a burden that's unbearable. I can't do this on my own right now. It's too heavy, it's too hard. I need the church. Just raise your hand and keep your hand up where it is. Here's what I want us to do. Before we sing, maybe you're standing beside somebody right now whose hand is in the air. We're gonna take a moment to pray. So here's what I'd ask you to do. If there's somebody around you with a hand in there, would you, would you turn towards them? Would we, we kind of huddle up around? If you wanna put a hand on their shoulder and gather, and it's awkward, isn't it? Like we have to do, yeah, this is what it is. This is the awkwardness. This is the messiness, right? So wherever you are right now, even just to reach out to where they are, that person with a hand up, and we're gonna pray, okay? And I'm not just gonna pray right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to pray and pray in your heart where you're at. Pray for those people you see. Maybe you can't reach somebody. They're, they're too far away. You, you see their hand raised that you would pray. Maybe even though this, that you would pray out loud this morning. Like, but I don't know their burden. Maybe you don't. Just pray for them anyway. Ask for the Spirit of God to bring to mind. What do I need to pray for this person? And let's take just a couple moments right now. Those with hand raised. My hope is this, that nobody has a hand raised right now that is not gonna have somebody to pray for them. So would you find somebody, would you turn, would you begin right now and let's just spend a few minutes right now just in prayer for each other, lifting up burdens for each other. Would you do that right now? Heavenly Father, I, I truly thank you for our church. Lord God, you know that every Sunday we have people up front to pray with people, but God, I love that it's not just people up front praying for people, but God, we all can come alongside. Father, I pray for those right now who had the, the courage, the humility to raise their hands and say, I got a burden I can't bear. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would, you would come alongside them and by your spirit, you begin to restore. Father, even if it's, it's sinful choices that have left the damage done, God, you promise in your word that, that you will restore the crops that the locusts have eaten. Father, that there would be a restoration, Lord, that your spirit would begin to restore even now. God, I pray that people would come alongside and then we'd be the church. Step into the messiness and bear one another's burdens. All this knowing that our hope, 
Our hope isn't found in this community. Our hope is found in you, Lord Jesus. That because of your cross, because of your blood shed, we don't trust anything else but the gospel. We don't trust anything else but you, Lord Jesus, and know that you can heal, that you can restore. And we're trusting in your name this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name.